Hi guys, welcome to another episode of The Life Quiz. I like to think that they're all pretty good, these shows, but this one's especially good. Mainly because my guest is somebody called Anne Bradney. I met her years ago, shortly after I'd finished my TV show. Anybody who's read my books knows that I was a physical wreck at that time. I was broken, I was unhappy, incredibly unhealthy. I'd just come out of hospital, and somehow... I found rescue in something called core energetics. At first I thought, what is this? Is it like Est or Landmark or Scientology, one of those things? But really, it is simply an opportunity to explore your own life force and to remove the blockages that are getting in the way of the expression of that life force which then releases your deepest emotions. It's incredibly powerful. Core Energetics started, I think, in the 1950s, something called Bioenergetics, and and took it one step further by taking those basic principles and broadening them into something she called radical aliveness. It's a whole new big thing, and it's great. It has the power to change the world. This woman has something that few other people I've ever met have. And that's why I feel so honoured that she took the time out to come and do the podcast. In the first half, we talk about her life, how she got to be who she is and where she is. And in the second half of the show, Anne answers the life quiz. Three rounds of questions about life, living and lessons learned. It's stimulating, it's fun, and it starts right now. Enjoy. Here. What's it all about? What's the point of being alive? What will be my legacy? Where do we go after we die? The Life Quiz. The Life Quiz. Secrets to a happy and fulfilled life revealed by the famous, the fascinating, or the just plain fabulous. Hosted by Cash Peters. Cash Peters. Cash Peters. There aren't many people I can say in my life have changed it radically. Hmm. Who have made such a difference that I actually account for my progress or where I am in life because of that person. And you are one of those people. Wow. In my regular life, I'm just a normal person, right? I'm just a normal person. But there's something about the work I do and my connection to it that feels very much about allowing something through me that's more than me. And so sometimes in my personality self, I actually feel surprised by people's response to me in that setting, but I'm kind of used to it now because I know it happens a lot. And all I can say is it's something I'm meant to be doing. It's a calling and I answered it and I take it seriously and I feel that it has really very little to do with my personality. And do you feel that you bring an energy quite outside of yourself? I mean, yeah, there's something I otherworldly mean, the, about in, you. In the, there is. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. No, no. I like. I think it's the way anybody could bring energy beyond themselves. I think we're all capable of opening to something that is wanting to come through us, just through us, not through anybody else. What comes through me doesn't want to come through Cash Peters. It wants to come through me because I have whatever it is that is capable of stewarding it, expressing it, actualizing it. And what is it? It's my greater self, 
or like you could channel your greater self, we could all channel our greater selves. I think that all of us are capable of a certain greatness if our personality gets out of the way and we allow something to come through us that can only come through us. And so for me, I think it's energy that feels very connected with you know, whatever you would call God or spirit or, you know, the energy of the universe that's beyond me that wants to come through me. And I have an intention to use that energy in service of healing and that I've spent a lifetime really working with that and believing in it and changing my own life. I was a really messed up kid. I was living in New York City. I was a drunk. I was a drug addict. I was a total mess. And for a period of a week, let's say, I felt fantastic. And I saw that even though all of my problems were still the same, I could feel this incredible feeling of oneness and openness and we'll with that life. On. I don't know. You know, I don't know what God is. I really don't. But I do feel like I've had experiences in life where there's a maybe a higher intelligence or something that's giving me something so that later on I can make a choice. And for me, that was one of those moments where when I got to a point where I had to make a choice between living and dying, which was really where I got, I knew I wanted to choose life. And I think part of it was because I had had that experience of how incredible I could feel. And so the moment that I stopped drinking and doing drugs, my life just began to open. I just started following paths of healing and going towards things. And if I didn't like them, I would try something else. And the path just... You know, narrowed and narrowed until here I am. Yeah, well, most people, and I'm one of them, actually, I must be honest, who, who set off on that path, it becomes a path of great self-indulgence, I think. And you end up always healing yourself. You're always looking for the next thing to solve your problems. But you don't really do that, do you? Because you're doing this and you wrote this book and you have given your gifts to the world in certain ways. Yeah, but if I didn't have a real life, I would do nothing but be worked on all day, every day. <laughs> I'd be in every group and therapy session. Well, it's kind of fun. It's wonderful, uh, no. but it doesn't serve the world, really. Well, you, I... you chose to take this thing that suddenly befell you and use it for the betterment of mankind. Yeah, but I think actually the work that I do, that's a deep value. People are actually quite powerful. When they meet people who say, you are powerful, stand up, rise up, be the person you can be, most people embrace that very quickly. Because I think we want to be who we are supposed to be. And yet, what's fascinating about that is, I have never been able to get anybody to go to your group. <laughs> I couldn't sell this <laughs> for anything. I've said, you've got to see this woman. Uh -huh. Go to Anne, go to her group, have this thing Maybe done. you're just a bad salesman. <laughs> well, clearly, Cash. clearly, I can't persuade anybody to do anything. But you know what it is? I paint such a vivid picture 
yeah. that they go, I can't face that. And I know, having been through it, uh-huh. that part of me wants to continue or wants to go back and do it. And the other part is cowering behind a box going, you are never getting me back in that room. Because you are never more naked in your life than you are when you're in one of your sessions. And didn't you love it? No, I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. I was I was having fever dreams for days before I showed up. It was the biggest torment of but my it, life. But it really changed your life, right? It did. It I was mean, amazing. It changed your relationship with your father. It did. It changed it did. everything. Yeah. It was absolutely I mean, remarkable. I feel like we're fighting against... 2,000 years, at least, of people saying the mind is more important than feelings. And we're fighting against a culture that says, don't lose control, don't have your feelings, keep everything nice and neat. And that people are frightened, not just because the work is scary, but also because there are all these messages coming from the world that we shouldn't be feeling this much. It's not good to feel this much. My feeling is that that's changing. My feeling is that people are more open, excited, and interested in doing this very wild, very alive, very intense, very out of control, very messy work. And I understand why people are scared. And at the same time, my feeling is that Without being able to lose control in certain ways, it's very difficult for us to be open to our greatest energy and the energy that wants to flow through us. Because when energy flows through us, everything that's inside of us is going to come up and out. And if we're frightened of any of that, if I'm frightened of seeing the places in me that have darkness or cruelty or greed or terror or pain, if I'm afraid of those things, then I can't let myself lose control. So I think it's a great process because it's really about saying to people, these feelings aren't going to kill you. Face all of this. Open yourself up. Feel everything. And then stop trying to control yourself and control other people. It gives people the power to make some pretty amazing choices in the world. You have three kinds of fear, though, related to that and those choices. One is you're afraid of your demons. Mm -hmm. You don't want to relive that pain. Mm -hmm. The wounds are too deep. Mm -hmm. You're afraid of being too vulnerable after you've been through this Uh because then you're exposed to the world. The world can come in and wound you again. Uh And the third one, and this is a major one, you fear how your vulnerability slash empowerment uh-huh. Lack right. of fear, lack yeah. of these yeah. things that you carry, these burdens you yeah, carried yeah. with you before, yeah. how those impact everybody around you. Yeah. Because there are times as a result of the therapy I've done on myself yeah. and the groups I've been to and whatever else I've done, where I feel like getting in a VW camper van <laughs> and setting up for Wyoming <laughs> and living in a shack with a dog and never coming out. Right. And that's as a result of all my work. It's I mean, not, it's not yeah, empowered yeah, yeah. me to face the world. It's basically made me think I want to run away from the world. Oh, see, what I heard you saying is if I do this work and I open up, I might open up to longings, desires that really ask me to start changing my life. Yes. 
And that might include getting in a camper van and going and living with a dog in Wyoming. And well, leaving your relationship, leaving your home. And not only have you faced the fear of being vulnerable and your wounds, now you've got a whole new set of fears of going out into the world and living a new life. The yeah. life you probably should have been leading, but you didn't because you were burdened by all these cumbersome terrors that have kept you in place. Yeah, I mean, I think the way you describe all that is, you know, on the spectrum, it's really black and white. It's really the black version, right? Or the white version. I don't know what you'd call it, but it's extreme. So those are people's fears. And I think that we listen to our fears really in order to avoid changing and in order to avoid having a more complex, powerful, interesting life. I think we have a fear of trusting the bigger process. That's I what I agree. think. I think yes. we actually, what we fear is trusting that the universe is on our side. I agree. And I feel that getting to a point where we can open up and follow life rather than try to control it or make it be what we want it to be is such an interesting place to live and really allows us, you ask me, like, how did I get here? At a number of points, I made some pretty powerful choices about I'm going to trust life. And let me tell you, I'm not a person that grew up trusting. I've had a lot of fear in my life, a lot of terror. I used to feel terror before I'd run groups, before I'd do workshops. Being in the unknown scared me. And yet, I've had this experience that when I face fear and when I walk through it, that always on the other side is power. And what you're saying about trusting life is that when we let go of our small personality that tries to control things and keep them in a certain image and a certain little box, that life may bring us things or take us places that we would never have dreamed up on our own. It's extremely interesting and exciting and powerful. And I think many people just don't know that that's how life can be. This work puts people in groups and situations where they have to participate and let go of control and have an experience that then if they take it out into life actually can begin to help them live life from more of that place, which really excites me. It is exciting. I know uh, this is a very old story, actually, but years ago, I used to have every year, I used to make it December, uh, a say yes to everything month. <laughs> No matter what was offered to me or uh -huh. told to me or invited or how I was invited to someone, I always said yes. How cool. And what would happen? Fabulous yeah, things yeah, happened. Yeah. December was always the best month of the year. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, things that were life-threatening, I'd say no to. Things that were addictive, I'd say no uh -huh. to. Just because I didn't want to deal with yeah, the aftermath yeah. in January or February. Yeah. I mean, I was having one here and there was a knock on the door and it was two Mormons. Uh, Mormon missionaries and they go would you like to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ <laughs> and they go said, yes, yes. <laughs> and they go and they're so shocked that anybody said yes and they said would you like to come to church with us on Sunday and I go yes. yes oh my god and then I go I go to church and it's fabulous that is so fantastic and I, I stand in church and they go would you like to be inducted into the Mormon faith I go yes <laughs> 
And every week for weeks afterwards, Gosh. I go to induction at the Mormon church down the street here. Oh, and, my uh, God. And they said, right, now you're going to be baptised. Are you willing to be baptised next week? And I said, um, yes. But there's one thing I have to say before you do this, just in the name of fairness. Uh-huh. I am a screaming homosexual. And what'd they say? No. <gasps> they said no to you? Yes. And they said oh, they my. wouldn't allow any men to talk to me from that point onwards. Only women were allowed to talk to me. Wow, Cash. And I was essentially thrown out of the Mormon church <laughs> by being ostracized. Oh, my God. So I had this yes thing that led to a no thing, and I wasn't allowed to join the Mormon church. And there's a lesson there. I think, about allowing yourself to be too vulnerable, in a way. Because you open your heart to people who maybe aren't as enlightened as you uh, by telling the truth and just being open, and they perceive that as weak or even naive. Vulnerability is not naive. I mean, when we choose to become vulnerable, as adults, we choose with full awareness of the fact that we can be hurt. And we will be hurt. Life hurts. People hurt us. Things happen. But this work is about if we open up and we're willing to feel our pain, then we can live from a very opened place, but also be able to say, for instance, ouch, that hurt. That hurt what you just said to me. I don't like it. And in some ways, I think that's a very powerful way to live because it's about being truthful in relationship. It's about feeling yourself. It's about letting people know what feels good and what doesn't. It's about being in more complex relationships. And we live such small lives and we are living in ways that don't develop us emotionally because we don't have places to really practice our emotions as powerfully as they live in us. So I think part of the process of becoming mature, just like we become mature intellectually or we become mature physically, we become mature emotionally by making mistakes, by making messes, by learning how we impact others, by learning how we are impacted. This is something that I think is really okay and the world tells us it's not. Oh, it's so dangerous. We're going to, you know, upset our relationships. Okay, so our relationships will be a little rocky or there will be more conflict. So what? Well, people don't want that. Um, or you think they do really, secretly? My feeling is that if people knew what life was like when they were in connection with their real power, yes, I think almost everybody would want this. What gets in the way of it is that people are afraid of the process and they have a lot of myths and images and things that people have told them that prevent them from ever having the experience on the other side. Would I give up my connection to myself, my life, my sense of empowerment to ever go back to safety and security? Never. Never. How boring. But you don't know where the future takes you. Nobody does. 
I mean, we can say, I know where the future is taking me. You really don't. I mean, you can kind of control it a little bit, but you might get hit by a car. We really don't have the control we think we have. And if we're willing to give up that illusion, life can be so much more interesting, I think. I was part of the first group you ran here, right? Uh Uh-huh. So I regard myself as very, very seminal. You're a pioneer, Cash. I was. You were a pioneer. And I would say the work has in some ways changed a lot since that time. But go ahead. Well, it was very daunting. But what was very interesting, two things are very interesting about the group. One was that there was a guy in there who looked like my brother. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. And he was an actor. Uh-huh. I'm not going to name him. He was an uh-huh. actor, and he's very famous. He's not on. Te- well, he's not very famous. He's relatively famous, and he's on TV. And there was another actor in the group as well. And what I found very odd about it was that they were acting; they weren't real. When they cried, they didn't produce tears. They were just crying like you do when you're on stage. And I found that intimidating, more intimidating than the people who were having breakdowns, because theirs were real. And the actors were just using it for acting practice. No, I'm not sure I would agree with that perception. I think that you perceived it that way. Well, when you cry, there are tears. There were no tears with these guys. Uh, They just acted crying. uh Uh-huh. Well, here's what I notice right now. What I notice is you made some assumptions about other people, which we all do. I think what would have been really interesting would have been for you to explore that, to bring it out, to say, I think you're acting, and to see where that went. I think you. I said it on the day. I think I said, there are no tears. Did you? What'd they say? I think I was ignored. Well, in fact, my only other contribution <laughs> that I made to this group, I made three contributions no, to this Cash, group. You, you had some intense feelings in the group. I made I'm, three things have, have stayed with me. Right. One was the fact I said, there's no tears when you cry. Uh-huh. And I was largely ignored. Uh-huh. The other one was when the girl uh, on the How, floor. Well, let me ask you something first. So here's what I would do. So when you saw people who were crying and had no tears, just take a minute and tell me, how does that make you feel? Like, notice what it brings up in you. I thought that they were betraying the process, and I felt betrayed. Uh, Oh, you felt betrayed. Because I wanted to be honest and open, and I hadn't yet. Right. And And I couldn't let go because I knew they weren't letting go. Well, that's all knowing, thinking, whatever. Well, they're not crying. Uh, but, but But tell me what it feels like. Like, if you go back there and you remember that, what did you feel in your body? I actually felt... A blockage here. Okay. Because that was my dam of trust that I was willing to breach if other people would be genuine too. So what I would say is forget about your judgments about these people or notice them. They may be right. They may have some truth in them. They may not. What's really interesting is what's happening in you and how you're using information outside of you to avoid something. And so I would be really interested in this block in your chest. See, I'm going to cry. <laughs> stop yeah. this. I'm going to cry. You can't do a session on me in here. I can't do this. Stop it, stop it, stop it. All right, good, good. I'm glad you're very interested. 
<laughs> this is your gift. But, this is, you but, only have to speak a sentence and I start crying. Well, what makes you cry? I'm just curious. Because you're right. I know you're right. right. You, this is what your gift but, is to yeah. touch the nerve. Okay, so okay that was... but let me just say one more thing because I think what you're saying is really interesting. That judgments are not the truth. And we do it all the time. We walk around making assumptions about people as a way of avoiding things inside of us. So for me, what's really interesting is going in and finding out what our judgments are covering. Let's say we had worked with you on that in group. It would have taken you into a place where you were maybe feeling how your trust has been betrayed, how frightened you were of opening up, how much it was scary to be with other people that you perceived as not open. Had you gone into that and had all the feelings around that, I imagine that is where your power is in relationship to the people that you were having judgments about. Because in that place where you go into the way you are being affected by somebody else, you have the potential to touch them in really powerful ways that you cannot touch them if you're coming at them with judgment. For me, that vulnerability, that place of revealing your own fear, your own lack of trust, your own... Weakness. For you, it feels like weakness, right? But revealing all of that, maybe the fear that's there... People don't understand that that is the place where if we're willing to feel ourselves fully, we have the most potential to change what's going on outside of us. I'm coming in with a really non-shaming heart, and that means that anything that comes out in the open, anything, including somebody's judgments, including whatever it is, places they're feeling, not feeling, is received with a big yes and with an intention not to shame. But given that you are a mess or were a mess, what qualifies you to do this anyway? Why are you the leader and not just on the floor screaming like the rest of us? You know... um, Did you have to be messed up to begin with to even get the depth of understanding? I think being messed up is really helpful Going through intense hardships in life really make us, made me a kinder, deeper person. And I think the other thing that happened for me is that I went so far down. I went so far down. I mean, really, it was a choice between life and death. You know, I was stumbling home in blackouts. I was falling down on the street in New York City. I was really fucked up. And the fact that when I stopped and said yes to life, that my life led me in all these ways that ended up here made me have a profound faith in people's ability to heal. We're here to heal each other. I really feel that. We are here to heal each other. Or at least to be facilitators. Absolutely. For other people's empowerment and healing. Uh, absolutely. When we really 
actualize our own life, we stop being in a place of blaming and focusing on our past because you're fulfilled. I mean, when we're living in the present and doing what we want to do with our lives, you're happy. There's, or you're at least gratified. You know, you may not be so happy all the time. But there is no way I would be who I am without having gone through what I went through. So I don't regret it. I don't feel sorry about it. I don't think it was a mistake. I don't wish it had been different. I'm very happy about it. And was it inevitable that you would have found core energetics eventually? I seemed to have an ability to find things that were profoundly healing for me. I don't know whether that was simply luck or that I had such a deep intention to heal. Did you just do what I did and go to a course? You just showed Um, up on the doorstep? No, I did a three-year program in New York City very soon after I got sober that was a therapy program, a humanistic, eclectic therapy program that was run by five women. And they brought in a core energetics person one weekend. And I just thought, this is fantastic. I need to do this. And I went to John Paracas, who was the founder of Core Energetics, and said, I would like to join your program. And he said, you need to get a master's degree to come to my school. And I said, I don't want to do a master's degree. I want to come to your school. I'm not interested in doing a master's degree. I'm coming to you. And then I got very interested in moving beyond just psychology to being able to work with the world and world and social issues. And radical aliveness started happening. How come you ended up in Hollywood? Because... I was in New York City. I had been part of this community for years and years. I had left the community. And I kept thinking, what am I doing in New York City? I want to be someplace where the sun is shining and I'm close to the ocean. And so I spent two years uh, convincing my husband that we needed to give up everything, like start over again. We had very good lives in New York. It makes me laugh. (laughs) You came here with nothing, as I recall. You didn't have a home or anything. We gave it all up. And I have to say, it was really fun. He said, he's very cautious. I'm not cautious. I would have just moved. He said, you have to prove to me that you can do this. So I flew out to L.A. for a year. I think I knew four people here. And I did whatever I did and started doing workshops and kind of built a little community in a year and said to him, now we've got enough to move out there. And we moved. And I remember when we moved, how much it shook people up. All of a sudden, everybody was going, you could just give up your lives. You could give up your jobs. You could give up money. You could give up everything. And just start over. I mean, people were really shaken up. (laughs) Well, it is. It's very brave. It's very bold. It was brave. It was brave. And it was uh, really exciting and really fun. And it's been hard. I mean, it's been challenging and a lot of work. And probably if I had known how hard it was going to be at age 52 to start over... Well, it's true of virtually everything, actually. If you'd known, you would never have done it. Exactly. So I'm so happy. Are you still married to the same guy? I am, but I came out here, and after a couple of years, I left him. I was working really hard and working all the time. I think he felt abandoned by me. Things got more and more difficult, 
And I loved him, but we couldn't seem to get help that would help us shift our patterns. So I left, and I was gone for two years. And um, I was sad because I wasn't really interested in being with anybody else. But after two years, I bumped into him in the street, and we ended up getting back together. And uh, last year, we got married at the Beverly Hills Courthouse. <laughs> so now you're all settled over here, and he's happy. Yeah. And you're happy with him. Yeah. I mean, because I left Britain. I burnt all my belongings in a field. You did? I put, oh I put whatever God. I had left in, a, in two bags, oh. and I set off for America. Oh, my God. At the age of 40 thinking that I'll give this American dream thing a try. Uh-huh. And I arrive with no money and no place to stay and knowing nobody, no work or anything. That's also very brave. And I just set off with two bags. That's amazing. And uh, I... And you're such a success. Right. Right? You but are. I, but, no, but I got a TV show based on that exact concept. Of going around the world and oh, I landing in, co- yeah, yeah, landing yeah, yeah, in yeah. countries without anything, without anything, and seeing how you could fare. And Did so you I, sell that? Was that your idea? That was my idea. Yeah, that was a great idea. That was a great idea. That it was, was based on my idea. life. Was I'd it really done it. fun? No, I hated it. Oh, too and bad. my entire life since being a teenager, I'd wanted to have a TV travel show, uh-huh. and I had this idea in my head that all you had to do was follow me around with a camera. It'll be animated. It'll be unpredictable. It'll be great. And they couldn't do that. I because so, they were too afraid? Yes. Yeah. And I realized how brave I was. Too bad. That I was, although I had all these phobias and food allergies and all that sort of stuff, I was really brave when it came to just, let's get a camera, let's go, yeah. I'll talk to the camera, yeah. we'll make it a whole thing, and we'll embrace the viewers as family. And they'll come every week just to be part of this group. They couldn't do it to oh, save their lives. Oh, so too bad. And everywhere we went, everything was controlled and ordered. And Isn't, see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's that same thing that people are so afraid of being spontaneous and out of control. Right. And so it was basically torn apart oh. at the seams. Uh-huh. And I got to the end of it, which is when I met you, because I'd been through this oh, this that wrenching. was just at the end of that? Yes. And that's how it all came about. Oh, my God. I had no idea. So at the end, did you get fired? Well, the show got cancelled, but I couldn't have done any more. Mm-hmm. I was so dispirited and so damaged. Mm-hmm. That I had to go into therapy because I realized that there was a part of me that needed liberating. Yeah. That said, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not playing by your rules. Right. Those are your rules. That's great. You live by them. I have another agenda. That's I so must liberating, have huh? But that's why I came to you. Yeah, that's so liberating. And I believe that's why my greater good said, get out of the right. car, go into the bloody building right. and sit there as excruciating as it might be and allow people to yell at you. Just do it and trust the process. Mm-hmm. And it's actually all worked out looking back. Without your group, I would have been very, very screwed up for a very, very long time. Oh, I'm so glad, Cash. You're a major jigsaw piece in my entire puzzle. You were pivotal. But I wish I'd gone further in the group. I wish I'd taken it further and gone the whole way. But even I then had my barriers and my well, boundaries. Well, you should come back. <laughs> I don't think I have the nerve to do it again. I've been talking about it for a very I long know. time. I mean, on Facebook, you talk about it all the time. I know. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to join this school. I'm well, then they go, oh, you've got to be here every Monday. 
I don't know how anybody signs up for anything at the same time every week. My life is different every week. For me to commit to being somewhere at a certain uh, time. Cash. Cash. What? Cash. What? <laughs> don't you think if you really wanted to do it, you would just be there every week? No. Really? No. What no? happens on those weeks when I'm away or I'm doing something or do we have other plans? Okay, Cash. <laughs> I want to challenge you. You think I'm coming up with excuses? Yes, I do. Totally. Okay. Okay. So are we ready to do I the am. life quiz? Yes, I'm you, totally you, ready. You had no idea what I was going to say then? No. I could have said, let's start drinking. <laughs> Uh, no, no. You... I knew you were going to say, are you ready to do the life quiz? And right. I am ready. Okay, we'll be back after this. The Life Quiz is brought to you by Penner Press, a boutique publisher with a global mission to expand minds and change lives. Penner Press publishes books that the big boys would never dare, including two of Cash Peter's most popular works, A Little Book About Believing and Why Your Life Matters, available as ebooks and in paperback. The future is being made right now, so check out books by Penners today and dare to start living the bold, bright, healthy new life you know you deserve. Penner Press. Now, back to the life quiz. Welcome back. It's time for the life quiz with my special guest, Anne Bradney, who runs a phenomenal school that helps free up your life force. It's like body psychotherapy. It involves everything, your spirit, your body, everything. It's absolutely incredible. The very first question I ask before we even get going with the quiz is this. What's the number one lesson life has taught you? Move towards fear. Don't let fear stop you. But you're a thousand times braver than most. Because most people, the very matrix of their life is fear. It's what governs everything about them. It's where they feel comfortable. The comfort zone, when people talk about it, is really just their fear zone. Well, I would say that's not really feeling fear if you feel comfortable, right? I mean, if you're feeling comfortable, you're probably feeling safe. And it may be that your fear is making your life very small so that you feel safe. I'm really saying move towards the things that make your heart thump and you have a lump in your throat and make your stomach flutter and don't let those things stop you because if you move towards those things, in my experience, they're always a pathway towards a greater life, a bigger life. And that isn't your body giving you fair warning that you might be about to step off a cliff. You don't move towards somebody holding a gun towards you. I mean, you have to be reasonable, but it scared me to run groups. It scared me to speak in front of people. It scared me to start losing control of my groups. It scared me to teach. It scared me to do this work in the beginning. I mean, it scared me to do my own personal process. And all of those things have led me towards such an interesting life. So yeah, I don't take fear very seriously. Great. Round one is the experience round. Okay. And what that is, it basically says, you know, you've lived a life. Yeah. You've been through a lot of stuff. And this is a chance to go through what you've learned over the years about yourself, about life and its meaning. Okay. Question one. Give me one major thing you would have done very differently or not done at all if you'd known how your life was going to turn out. 
I don't have anything that I would have done differently. That cannot possibly be true. No, it really is true. I mean, there are things that... You wouldn't have taken drugs. Why would you start going down the road taking drugs? If you knew where it was going to lead, you it wouldn't have taken here. drugs. There are things I've done in my life that I don't feel great about, but they have always taught me something that has been meaningful. So I don't really have regrets. What about trying to be understood by your parents more? I don't need them to understand me. A lot of people have regrets about I know. I don't really have regrets. I don't. I'm sorry, I don't. You'd but still go, I if we don't... had a time machine, you'd go back and commit the same acts. Yeah, knowing that it was teaching me something about myself that I needed to learn. Yes. Wow. Number two. <laughs> Question two. Nominate one characteristic about yourself that you would have changed if you could, which would have made you a better person to know. I think I would have been braver in relationships more truthful. There are certain relationships that are probably, you know, reminiscent of childhood relationships that brought up fear in me. And so one thing I haven't really liked about myself is I have not always been true to myself in moments that I wish I had been in relationships. And what does that truth consist of, for example? I think it means willingness to have somebody not understand me or have somebody not like me or have somebody feel very separate from me in order that I speak my truth. We have such a yearning for belonging. Yeah. And it's overriding yeah. in most regards. Because when we're brought up, it's all about, are you the popular kid or are you not? Yeah. Do you get punished or are you rewarded? Yeah. Are you going to win or lose? It's all black and white things, yeah. either yeah. side of a pivot. Yeah. And I think it's very hard for us as we grow up to say, I'm going to do this and everybody may hate me for it, but I feel very strongly this is what I have to do. I agree. And I think it's something that as I've gotten older, I've really strived to really be more true to myself because I think in my history, I betrayed myself quite a bit as a child to be connected to my mother. Well, that's what children do. Yeah, children uh, do it, but I would say... You can't be expected I, not to do well, that. Well, no, but I would say that my personality, I mean, people all express it differently. Some people get very strong and say the truth all the time or whatever. I think I had a part of me that was, I can't think of the right word, but... I think the word is prostitution, actually. Is it? I think you prostitute yourself for rewards. And that reward can be praise, it can be money, it can be belonging, it can be a lot of different things. You basically prostitute your core self yep. to feel comfort yep. or to not feel pain. Yep. That happens a lot. Yeah. So I would say, you know, looking back on my life, that's been something I've worked hard on, a place where I had a great deal of fear. Question three. What's one lesson in life that you were once told was true, but which you found not to be true at all? Oh, these kinds of questions are really hard for me. Huh. What have I been told was true that isn't true? Wow, Cash, I really draw a blank on that one. Can we come back? <laughs> this is like a game show on NBC. 
Are you going to pass and come back? Well, why? I mean, what about... Are you going to make suggestions? Well, no, I can't, I can't. I was trying to think what other people have said. but Oh, my God. Something that... You were told was true that turned out not to be true at all. The thing that struck me... Um, this doesn't feel very strong, but I would say something about um, I was taught that you have to work really hard to survive. And I do work really hard. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. We don't have to strive yeah. or struggle. Yeah, something like that. Something about some way that I think you can take on that message and make your life a lot harder than it needs to be. And where did that come from, your parents? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you just believe you had to work every hour of the day? Yeah, work hard. Work hard, hard, hard. See, I'm not a great believer in the work ethic, as anybody who knows me will tell you. <laughs> I'm happier at a bar drinking than I am actually working. But I do work hard. But my biggest gripe is that people work too hard. I agree. And when you try too hard, you actually push away I agree. the very thing I agree. you need and so want. I, I would say like the thing about that is that that message for me goes really against a certain kind of trust. And that I've really had to learn how to trust and receive support, which I think is really there. But coming from that background, you do push it away. Every experience I've had where I've really, 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 really worked hard for something, I've always got a mediocre result. The best results have come from something I've just sort of dashed off in a relatively short time. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. Yeah, okay. No, I answered the question. I'm so happy. <laughs> question. Well, there are another 108 oh, questions geez. to go. Question four. Outside of things like family and friends, what has been the greatest joy of being alive? Oh, I think the experience of flow, that experience of opening to something greater than my personality and allowing it to flow through me and being with a group of People, I especially love, I just love being with groups, the work I do. I love it. It's, for me, the most joyful, interesting, profound experience. I sometimes feel like I've entered another realm where the rules of physics don't apply and we're all in some kind of magical experience and healing happens and magic happens and I never know what I'm going to say or do. And there's something about that experience of not knowing but trusting so much that the gifts that I have to bring are trustworthy and I can just let go and kind of be. It's thrilling. I love it. Never get tired of it. And truthfully, that's what everybody's really looking for. In yeah. what they do, they're looking for that moment when they feel that. Yeah, like they just you see don't know athletes, it. right? Or yeah. musicians or people talk about being in flow. So I have that experience. No, people don't know, though. I, I'm convinced of this. Most people don't know that that experience is waiting for them. Right. But there are certain steps they must take between the humdrum and elation. Mm -hmm. or joy, mm -hmm. or the flow, whatever you yeah. want to call it. There are certain steps you have to take, but they're not steps of construction. 
No, they're, they're like deconstruction. They're or, opening up. Oh, you, you you're, not building. Yeah, you're a big one at deconstruction. Well, I'm not big on building to get where you want to go. Yeah, I think you tear down to get where you want to go. And I would say you face fear to get where you want to go. Your yeah. experience is deconstruction. My experience is facing fear. I just don't think I like the sound of yours. Oh. Whereas deconstruction sounds like it's something practical you can do with your hands. Oh, okay. <laughs> Even though the end result is But the you same. have faced your fear. Oh, a million times. Right. In fact, I have a question for you. So, um, if this isn't on my list. <laughs> so you face your fear and you keep pretending like it's something that you don't do when, in fact, how would it be to look at me and to tell everyone on this podcast that's been my life? I've faced my fears. Well, have I ever denied that? In a way, you make it a joke, as if it's something that you don't really own as part of a powerful thing that you've made a choice about. Yeah, but everything in my books is all about how I've done these things. Oh, well, I probably have to read your books more. Yeah, but that I'm... would help. A little research, oh, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> no, but isn't everything... Did I hurt your feelings? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but isn't, isn't that, though... I mean, I, I don't because know. I can't I remember a time when I. Because I think of you as a brave person. You know, I think of you as very brave. Yes, I think of myself as brave as well, but not necessarily for what people know about me, just certain things I have done. And this is absolutely true that I've always, when I came to a fork in the road and there was an easy way and a hard way, I always took the hard That's way. That's so awesome. Not once have I ever taken me the easy too. way. Me too. I've done every hard thing that came in right. front of me. And aren't the rewards great? Yes, the rewards are great. But you're humbled by obstacles as they come up. You rise above them, and then you're humbled by the next one, and you rise above it. I agree. It's not the easy road. It's not an easy road, but I think it's such a beautiful way to say it that you've made the choice for every hard thing that's come. And for me, that feels a little bit like trusting that the hard things that are coming in life are there for a purpose. For me, it's about participating in life all the way. Okay, you're bringing me this. This is really difficult. I'm going to face it. I'm going to learn everything I have to learn because I feel like that's kind of what life is. So by the time I go out of here and die, I hope that I have learned everything that I came here to learn because I have said yes to all the hard things in front of me. Exactly. I, I think it's very important. I, when I was living in London, I lived in a beautiful apartment on the Thames. I had a relationship. I had work. I had money. I had everything. And then I decided I wanted something else, that it wasn't right now, there's not a living human being, generally speaking, would abandon what I had to go to where I went to in order to get what I wanted. Right. But in fact, I ended up within about three months living on my brother's couch in an abandoned farmhouse he just bought. And I would wake up in the morning, I'd slept in my clothes, and I would wake up with snow all over me because wow. it had blown in through a hole in the window. They had no toilets. You had to poo wow. in a bag in the garden. Oh and I had 18 pounds, which is essentially like $27 in my bank account. That's all I had. I walked away from everything and then burnt the rest. 
and then came to America. It's amazing, Cash. But that is bravery. It's incredibly It's uncommon brave. bravery, but it's the only way I've ever found of living. People have said, you're not going to law school, but you got a law degree. You should go and train as a lawyer. No, yeah. I'm going to walk away from it. Because I like the way that the pieces fall after you've shattered the picture. I've said no when people have said, we could make you the biggest success. You can have this job. It will pay you this amount of money. It's not felt right. I've said no and walked away. it's so brave. Yeah, but it's uncommon bravery. It's not, I I couldn't kill somebody in a war. I couldn't fight at battle lines. You can't depend on me to do something brave as we understand it. But I can depend on myself to do the brave thing. Well, and I feel like it's important to reclaim the definition of bravery because people who are extremely brave, like you, are often people who have a lot of fear. And so in some ways, it's not recognized if you're an extremely fearful person. Often people who are extremely fearful do extremely brave things. And I feel like it's important to reclaim that definition, you know, not make it uncommon, but that you have chosen the hard things, that you've listened to yourself, that you've let go of security is incredibly brave. Okay. Question five. What is your greatest sadness or disappointment about the way life has unfolded for you? Um, I would say that I feel really excited by what I am doing, and I feel really excited about the way life is leading me, and I feel sad that I'm not younger. Because there's so much I want to do and give and learn. I wouldn't have given up being a drug addict. I don't think I'd be who I am without it. But I may have gotten started a little bit late in this. But you had to live a life before you could help other people live their lives. Yeah, I agree. But it does make me, I mean, I'm so aware that I'm, you know, I'm about to turn 60. There's so many interesting things to do in life. There's ways that life is kind of giving me all these opportunities. And I'm aware that I have a limited amount of time. Well, you know, I've lost four people in the last year. You have? Of ages 23 to 72. Yeah, yeah. And never before have I felt such an impending need to use every hour to its greatest fulfillment. People will say, have you watched Breaking Bad? It's great. And I'll go, oh, uh, really? Uh, How many hours of television is that? And they'll go, 63 hours of television. And I cannot justify spending 63 hours watching somebody else's work when I've got so much to create of my own. Yeah, I can't do it. Yeah. I might watch a movie as relaxation, but I cannot justify sitting in front of a television when there's so much to do and so little life left. Yep. I did watch Breaking Bad and I loved it, but... You'll never get those hours back. <laughs> no. <laughs> Basically, you'd be way ahead of the game oh, if you just cash. not watch that. <laughs> cash. No, it's good for me not to work all the time. I work hard. So watching Breaking Bad was really good for me, I have to tell you. All right. Well, okay. You're clearly learning nothing from me. Okay. <laughs> 
Question six. If you had to pass on one piece of wisdom or advice to an impressionable child, what would it be? Um, two things. I'm big on this fear thing. That fear is not so important and not to believe in it. But I would say the other thing that I would pass on to a child would be it's a waste of time to criticize yourself or think badly about yourself and that it's much more meaningful to be curious and loving towards every aspect of your being, even though that's probably hard for children because they're getting so much criticism. But I would want to support children in feeling love for themselves. Question seven, why do you think you were put on the planet? Are you satisfied that you fully justified your time here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. Again, question eight. You've already answered this with other questions. What is your legacy? When your biography is written, what will it say you did to make the world a better place? Yeah, just like really said yes to the gifts that wanted to come through me and gave them and touched a lot of people who then touched a lot of people who touched a lot of people. Yeah, you are phenomenal. Thank Absolutely you. phenomenal. I adore you. Oh, Cash. Question nine. In what way are you still searching? Oh, my God. I'm always searching. I'm really interested in developing myself fully. So there's things that I'm still working on in myself, and I'm really interested in what this work is going to become and where it's going. So I'm still learning everything I can about what it is I'm doing. So I would say I hope I'm searching on the day I die. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Question 10. What, in your view, is the bigger purpose of life? Why are we here? Oh, I think we're here to bring our gifts to the world. Whatever that is, whatever it looks like. Maybe it's being a mother or maybe it's, you know, being the best coffee server in the world. I don't care. It's just that to say yes to what it is we have to give and to give it. Yeah, I think the big mistake that most people make in life is to believe that winning is what it's all about and not the experience that you're having. And I think it's a big error that people make because they're always dissatisfied and they never allow themselves to be satisfied right now with what they have because they always think there's something better because yeah. they've been told there is. Yeah, yep. Huge error, right? Yep, yep, yep. And that is the end of round one. Okay. The other two are very short, so okay, can, I'm exhausted already. Okay, we're back in a second with round two. Hi there, me here. I don't like interrupting the show like this, but I just feel that I should mention that, you know, podcasts are free. Right. And that's great. I love it that podcasts are free. I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts that I might not listen to if I had to pay every time. But the fact that they're free doesn't mean that there aren't costs at this end in running them. There's equipment, there's marketing, there's a whole bunch of stuff goes into it. So if you learned anything from this show and you're in the mood, why not donate a little money to it? You can do that. Go to cashpeters.com, my website, cashpeters.com, and there's a donate button there. Just click on that, and you can donate a little something that will make you happy because you gave, and me happy because I can keep this podcast going. 
So it's a win-win, really. Anyway, that's it. Cashpeters.com. Click on the donate button. Now it's back to the show. Okay, we're back for round two with one of the major lights in my life, uh, Anne Bradney from Radical Aliveness. This is a blind round. There are 15 questions in this round. You get to choose five to answer, but without knowing what they are. Okay. Basically, that stops you picking the ones you like, Mm -hmm. because you would. But all you got to do is give me a a number between one and 15. Uh, Two. What's your greatest weakness or vice? Every once in a while, I read trashy magazines, and I love them. That's what I want to do here. <laughs> okay. That you have a weakness. Oh, like, that you're like not you're, so you're, brave that oh, everything's so great and you've mastered everything. Oh, my I need God. to know that you're a human being. Oh, yeah. I like trashy magazines every now and then. Good. Excellent. Though I had to stop reading them for a number of years after they chased Britney Spears down when she was having a breakdown because I thought, I can't be part of this. This is terrible. But that wore off and now I... <laughs> no, you don't care who they tail. <laughs> Okay, another question, please. Oh, uh, 12. Do you feel special? I used to feel very special. And I had a profoundly painful, terrible experience around being special. And I have spent the years since that happened not feeding any part of me that would feel or believe I'm special. And what was that thing? Being in a community where I was with a leader who made me very special and then not realizing that I had really sold, denied or sold parts of myself in order to have that experience and then losing the relationship and feeling what a price I had paid for it. Am I supposed to understand that? I don't necessarily want to go into any facts because, I mean, it's it's such a long, complex story. But what I would say is I kind of had a deep experience of being seduced into a part of my personality that really loved being special and not giving a shit about how that affected people around me. So you sold out to ego, really, is I what did. you're saying? Absolutely. Sold out to ego, had a big crash, and uh, learned a big lesson. See, that's what I've found as I've grown older, and the more I write and the more I talk about these things, that it does seem to come down to every moment is a choice between ego and your soul's path. Yeah. Very rarely do they coincide. Yeah, you can the... go this way, which is the ego's way, and you go towards money, fame, and you know, power, whatever it is. Or you go the soul's way, which is often humbler, quieter, more open, more intimate, and feels like, sometimes even like failure or not going anywhere. Because you're not doing the ego's dictates. Right. I felt like a loser many, many times simply because mm-hmm. I've taken these routes where I just didn't follow my ego. Yeah. I said no to things when I everybody else would have said yes. Yeah. And it's not edifying to do that, really. Yes. And I feel really fortunate that every time I've followed my ego, I have gotten a huge slap from the universe. And therefore, I know that it's not something to do. So I don't think the universe wants me to follow my ego. 
So, I don't think the universe wants anybody to follow their ego. You know when people talk about God and sometimes it works Satan? for people like uh, Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Let's it, talk yeah, about Donald. Does it really work for him? Yes. How is it working for him? In the sense that I don't see him paying the price in a way that he might experience paying a price Because for his it. ego is so great that his arrogance is enormous and he doesn't feel those things. But well, like if you did what Donald Trump did, don't you think? You, I would have a big fall. I would be publicly humiliated. He's think, humiliated every single day of his what? life. Here's the difference is, and this is why it doesn't work, maybe for you and maybe for me is that we do not have the personality structure that has the strength. I, I, I wouldn't call it real strength. It's balls. No, I wouldn't even call it that. It's the lack of awareness. I would say the a lack, lack of, of self-conscious uh -huh. uh -huh. awareness exactly. that says, I am the laughing stock of the nation. Right. And he goes to that, I'm worth $10 billion. Right. It reminds me a little, I mean, now we're getting political, but of George Bush to me, it's a little scary people who feel so powerful in themselves that when the entire world is saying to them, this is not okay, that they feel so strong inside themselves that they go, I'm just going to follow what's right for me. And I believe in myself that much. I find that dangerous. And but he's at the mountaintop of ego. Right. He typifies what we're talking about here. Right. And you and I don't have $10 billion because we didn't go down that path. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, like when I had my TV show, I remember walking down a corridor at the production office one day saying out loud, I am not emotionally or psychologically suited to this. Yeah. I realized what my limitations were, that I was so sensitive yeah. and so guided by other things than everybody around me. Yeah so different to mm -hmm. everybody around me mm -hmm. that I would not be happy or contented or feel complete, famous, mm -hmm. popular, mm -hmm. ultra successful to the point where I was in all the papers and the magazines. Mm -hmm. That would destroy me. It wouldn't build me up mm -hmm. because I don't exist in that ego world. Mm -hmm. We're in many ways blind to ourselves. We have to learn how to stand strong inside ourselves. And we also have to learn how to allow in feedback from the outside that's going to help us expand. And I think what I'm saying about Donald Trump and George Bush is that I see them as people who do not allow stuff in that would change them. And for me, a Deep value is being vulnerable to the extent that our interactions with others expand our identity. Right. Basically, the, the more you do your kind of work and the more you do what I've done to me, the stronger you become mm -hmm. at your core, at mm -hmm. your very center. The more you go with ego, Bush, Trump, and a bunch of others, the more you are strong on the outside, materially, but they are just basically schoolyard bullies. On the inside, they're as weak as wet liver. But they make up for it by money and buildings and presidencies and whatever. That's what matters to them because it's the only way they can make a mark and feel as though they're in control and, and empowered. But we're the losers from the world's point of view because we're the ones without all 
the vast material stuff. I don't crave that. No, me neither. And I also think the world is so complex and who knows what George Bush and Donald Trump are here doing. And I hope that they're you know, ultimately learning something, you know. I think they're members of the old guard. I think that old imperialistic, ego-driven, paternal kind of way of politics and money, I think that's slipping away incrementally so we don't even really notice it. I agree. Bit by bit, you see the old ways going and the new ways coming Oh, I really hope so. I really, it's the way really of the world. hope so. We're in a cycle and we're just at the bottom of the cycle yeah, right now. Yeah, I really hope so. All right, another number, please. Uh, 11. Define God as best you understand it. <laughs> God is all of the energy that exists beyond us. I think God is everything. I think God contains everything. Because I've really always thought of it as a sort of universal consciousness. So it's not something you can put a finger on. It's not something you can worship. It's not something you can salute. It's not something that supports your country, right. takes exactly. sides. Exactly. It is simply a neutral force. Uh-huh. I was going to say neutral. That word yeah. comes to neutral, me Neutral, impartial, yep. just something of which everything is comprised, yep. and which comprises everything, surrounds everything, and runs through everything. And so this idea that God is something introduces the concept of separation from Mm -hmm. God. And half the problems the world has is through believing they are separate from God. It explains terrorism, it explains governments, it explains religion, it explains everything. The moment you realize that you are a splinter of God, Mm -hmm. that you are God, God is you, and God is everything, you can calm down. You can throw your books away. And you can stop going to church on a Sunday and, At, unless you just want the community of it. And you can start seeing everything else as God. And everyone else. Right, and yeah. everyone else. And it's why I was saying, like, if we go back to that experience in group, that when we really start seeing everything outside of us with a willingness to feel what it brings up in us, that we stop demonizing what's outside of us, we stop fearing it, fearing it, trying to control it. And I'm really interested in developing an identity ultimately that is large enough to contain everything that exists. I would like an identity like that. I would like to be open to... Oh, for yourself, you mean? Yeah, to feel everything that's outside of me as part of me. Once you accept that God isn't a separate entity... And you are part of God. And God is love, kindness, compassion, understanding, forgiveness, all these different things, these components. Mm -hmm. It's very hard then to start judging others negatively Mm -hmm. and start discriminating against them, Mm -hmm. to start shunning them, pushing them out, Mm -hmm. because they are another splinter of God. You should bring them in and say, we're all together in this. That's the unity. That's the bit that says, you know, hey, we're all in this ship together, guys. Yeah, and the thing that's hard about that is that, like, there are certain people or experiences that take you close to things inside yourself that you don't want to feel. So, 
that's why I feel so strongly about supporting people in feeling everything, because I feel it's a really sacred spiritual act. If I'm willing to feel everything, including my terror, including my pain, including my hate, including my rage, if I feel everything, then I don't have to make you wrong or make you bad because you bring those feelings up in me. Then I can just see you as a splinter of God that brings me closer to feelings that are hard for me to claim. And you have to be able to say, I have no investment in being right. Absolutely. I simply have an investment in learning. Absolutely. Right? Right! Yay! Right We're for us. right! <laughs> We're right about that. We're right! Now, please don't say anything against me. And the last question in this round. Choose another number. Four. In a very murky world, Ooh. what gives you hope? What gives me hope is being in a workshop and seeing people who have been through hell just like rise up and claim themselves. And what gives me hope is working in Israel with Arabs and Jews who I see like bringing their truth to each other and then over years time changing the way they are with each other and calling each other up in the middle of war to say, how are you? And what gives me hope is going to Kenya and being with people who, you know, you meet them not very often, but they do this work and they come from a completely different world and, you know, they don't have very much and, you know, they soak everything up and want to go back out and give to the world. My experience of them is that most people are so good and most people really want to make this world a better place. And I'm surrounded by people like that. So that gives me hope all the time. I totally agree. That was my experience of the travel show. All those years that I was a travel writer, everywhere I go, I come away thinking, the media got this wrong. Politicians are, got yeah. this wrong. People are fantastic. Yeah. People and are fantastic. They are. People are not only good, basically, they want to share and give, and they're doing the very best with what they have. I agree. Right and now. If I were emperor of the world, I would make everyone travel. And I would make everybody go to places that we've heard terrible things about. I, and I would bring people over here and I would get people in rooms with each other because we're mostly just human beings who are wanting things for ourselves, for our children, for each other. And everything the media says is just to scare us out of being in connection. That's how I feel. Absolutely right. And as a person who was in the media for many, many years, I can tell you that that's exactly what they do. That's, that's so the crazy. idea. They look for the worst. What do you think would happen? I'm really curious about this. Now I'll ask you a question. Okay. What do you think would happen if we were reporting on all the positive healing things? Nobody would watch. They wouldn't? Nope. You don't think it would change the world? I'm not saying it would change the world if you could get people to watch it, but you'd have to pin them to a couch. You would? Yes. <laughs> It's one of the really peculiar things about life or about people is that they only really become alive when they see other people suffering or becoming humiliated or getting shot. Or... Don't you think people are hungry for, like, wonderful, loving, uplifting, opening? I think you did a poll, they would say yes. 
but give them a choice between watching puppies and watching a war, <laughs> they'd watch the war. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Okay. It's just a fact of life. Okay. And if you yeah. had to watch an old Disney movie versus watching The Terminator, you would choose The Terminator. I agree. I mean, I went to Disneyland and it was so fucking boring i couldn't believe it like little boats that people float down like with little puppets singing i yeah, hated it it's for five-year-olds yes i i wanted to you saw it at breaking 55 bad. <laughs> breaking bad as opposed to disneyland you just proved my exact point yeah i did all that's the end of the second round the rapid oh round my is God, coming up right there's now another one okay jesus <laughs> you're the most difficult guest i've had so far am i Everybody else is looking forward to the last round. Oh, okay. You're let's protesting. Go. Okay. Okay, we're back for round three with a very, very difficult guest, Anne Bradney, <laughs> who frankly doesn't even want to do this round, but we're going to do it. And it's the wrap-up round, and it just kind of speaks for itself, really. Question one. You're rushed to the hospital. Doctors say you have 48 hours left to live. What would you do in those 48 hours that you've not done so far? I don't know what I would do that I haven't done so far, but, like, when you tell me I've got 48 hours to live, I just want to be with people I love. Am I supposed to do something else? Well, what would you do in those 48 hours that you've not done so far? But you've I'm never not. been with people you love. <laughs> In that case, yes, you should hang out with them more. Okay, I am being a difficult guest, aren't I? Okay, that I've never done before that I might want to do. I think um, another trip to Disneyland. Definitely not, not, not. Skydiving? No, I have already skydived. It was very boring, I have to tell you. Because you can't see the ground. So when you jump out, you have no feeling. It's just like, you know what I mean? I guess. If you could see the ground, it'd be really exciting. Well, maybe and some scary. people can see the ground. Maybe you just went on a cloudy no, no, day. No, it was really high up. Oh. Yeah, but so you don't really see the ground when you jump out for a while. So it's anyway. I didn't find it that exciting. So what um, would you do in those forty-eight hours that you've not done so Gosh, far? Gosh, you know, you I, can't possibly have done well, everything. Can I have superhuman powers? No. <laughs> I would like to surf, but I don't know how to surf. Well, it wouldn't matter because you could actually go and learn to surf. Okay, I would go and learn to surf. So what is stopping you doing that right now? I actually think that physically I am not quite capable of surfing. I think I've kind of passed that stage of physical ability. Yeah, I kept falling off and I gave up. <laughs> yeah. and once it hit me in the face and I thought, you know, I'm not meant for this. Question two. I'm glad you let me get away with that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good one. Actually. Don't tell me I have to serve. Okay. Question two. What do you consider to be a universal truth? A universal truth. I'm learning that there is no such thing as universal truth. Why are you learning that? Because it's not um, so, because, really. Because, well, no, it is so. <laughs> I have no investment in being right, but you're wrong. Um, no. Um, okay, what have I learned that's a universal truth, that there are not universal truths? There are. Like what? What goes around comes around is a universal truth. Well, the reason I'm saying that I don't believe in universal truths 
is because I've been working in other countries and I see that there's cultures that are so profoundly different from ours who see things very differently and that a universal truth is really something that goes along with our culture, which is a Western individualized culture. No, you see, I disagree. Here's why. If something is true, it must be as valid and applicable to you in North Korea or you in Poland or you in New Zealand as it is to me. That strips away a lot of stuff. Because it strips away belief systems, it strips away cultures, it strips away convention, dogma, doctrine. The actual truth is what applies to me as much as it applies to you. And I found in my travels that certain things are universally true. Like what? This is your question, not mine. Um, well, um, I would say that this is something I have witnessed. So I would say that love is stronger than hate. Yes, I would say that's true. Yeah. And I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily believe that. But in my experience, one person with an open heart can trump a room full of hate. Love wins out. Love wins out. That's been my experience. Yeah, hate, it hate is, hate my is experience. a short term solution. I agree. Love is a long term answer. Yeah. So that's my answer. Sorry that took so long. It had a lot of laughs in it, though, along the way. <laughs> and the final question is uh-huh. Who are you really? I am a really normal person who has embraced extraordinary gifts. Sometimes people confuse my gifts for who I am, but I'm just a regular person who's open to my gifts. How's that? I would say you are a spectacular human being. Oh, Cash, thank I would. you. I talk about you more than I talk about virtually everybody else I know. Gosh. And I always say what a spectacular human being you are. That Thank you're one you. of the greatest people I've ever met in my lifetime. Well, you know what I was thinking, which is hilarious, while I was talking to you, is that I actually think that we're kind of similar. So a lot of things that you say and a lot of things you believe and a lot of ways that you are in life, I really identify with. So while you were talking, I was like, oh, Cash and I are kind of similar. So you admit I'm right. <laughs> You're a spectacular human being, Cash. Spectacular! And there she is, Anne Bradney. That woman changed my life for the better in so many ways. It's the first time I've seen her since I went on the course, so it was great meeting up with her again. And although I guess not every form of therapy is good for every single person, I have told many people about radical aliveness and the ones I've met, the ones I've talked to, have all said that it's had a profound effect on them and changed their life. And Anne, as you've probably heard, goes out and does this same thing at centers around the country. She does it in Israel. She goes to other places. It's quite a thing. She's turning it into quite a thing from very, very humble beginnings. And I admire her and I think she's wonderful. And I'm not going to say any more because it sounds a bit creepy now. (laughs) Anyway, you can follow me 
on Twitter at Cash Peters. You could, if you wanted to, donate to the show. Give a little something. If you learned anything today or it helped you in any way, give a little something to the show to keep it going. You go to cashpeters.com, my website, cashpeters.com, and there's a donate button. Just click on that and give to your heart's content. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening, and I'll speak to you next time. Bye-bye.